Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. What does the future hold for St. Louis, and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome into this edition of the program. Michael Calhoun with... With Travis Sheridan, a little bit of buzz in the background as I'm coming to you from the Denver airport on layover headed to the Bay Area to talk innovation out there. Always on the move and and on the show, we're going to we're going to travel pretty far, too, especially in our first interview. We're going to talk with a St. Louis startup called Impossible Sensing. First of all, yes, we'll make the jokes about the name of the show, too. But also, they have sent some sensors on the Mars rover Perseverance. So they've traveled pretty far. They have, and it's not just up up in the air that they're going, but they're going down beneath the sea, too. So we'll talk about what they're pulling and what they're learning uh, from below the ocean surface. Some fascinating stuff from that St. Louis company on Cherokee Street. And then we're going to take you to the Cortex area and check in with BioGenerator. They have been really busy lately. Some of their portfolio companies especially have been attracting attention from all over the place. And I wonder if part of this has to do with the renewed interest in pharmaceuticals and you know, bioscience, maybe as a result of COVID, it seems like the biogenerator portfolio getting a lot of attention these days. Medicine and ag, two of the clusters for St. Louis and biogenerators leading the way on those. And then we're going to take you inside of T-Rex, the innovation center on Washington Avenue in downtown St. Louis. There's a subset of that innovation zone, which just opened. It's a partnership between the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, private companies, the universities and other academic institutions in St. Louis that are doing research. All of them are supposed to come together and make software. Right. Moonshot Labs. And how appropriate. We're going to start the show talking about Mars and conclude with moonshots. (laughs) There you go. Although I think NASA would say probably you need to go to one before you go to the other. Probably so. (laughs) But stick with us. We're going to take off right after this as we continue on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing impossible on KMOX. Let's check in with a St. Louis company called Impossible Sensing. I have a sense that nothing is impossible for them, Travis. You know, I was all, I was about ready to tie in the name of their company to the name of our show. It's a nice, uh, a nice alignment there. We're joined by uh, the founder and CEO, Pablo Sabrone. Thank you so much for joining us, Pablo. Yeah, hello. Hi, thanks. So, Pablo, tell us about Impossible Sensing. I know there has some connection to the Mars rover, uh, but this is this is not just about outer space. It's deep beneath our oceans as well, right? 
Yeah, you're totally right. I think our mission is to go explore and discover new things, uh, deep ocean to deep space, and actually everywhere in between as well. Uh, yeah. So give us a little introduction into Impossible Sensing. How did it begin, and what's your focus? Yeah, so, uh, you know, thanks for the question. I, I always get asked that, and uh, especially people from out of St. Louis. And the answer that I give always is, uh, well, you know, Impossible was born out of my interest in really go out and discover, uh, find new life uh, elsewhere, uh, Mars, uh, Europa, and Saladus, uh, but also try to advance and create new ways to explore our own planet. So uh, I started the company well, about uh, five years ago, and uh, for the little bit, I was just doing uh, contracting jobs for NASA mostly. Uh, I was just lending my expertise into helping them with developing uh, Mars programs. And uh, the current mission, uh, Perseverance, um, on Mars, uh, it has two instruments that I helped uh, design and, and then eventually build and test. And now, as a company, we are uh, helping NASA interpret data coming back from Mars uh, to advance the science that we're getting on Mars. Uh, but uh, it's only really been uh, the company growing in size and scope uh, over the last two years. And uh, we went from just myself to, to about 20 people that we are today uh, between full-time and, and interns that we have. So uh, what we do is we are uh, at the forefront of uh, innovation uh, with capital I. Uh, uh, and what we do is um, we take new ways to, to play with light, uh, interact with matter, uh, solid liquids and gases, and we learn and we probe deep inside the chemical structure and materials uh, what the substances are made of. And that way we can learn more about um, about what we have uh, in our own planet. Uh, again, deep ocean uh, places that we've never been before. Uh, now we can go and go explore, but also uh, go out in deep space and, and do the same thing. Uh, in our case, it's looking for life uh, microbes and bacteria on Mars, um, on uh, Europa, Enceladus, uh, perhaps even the clouds of Venus. Uh, so that's in a nutshell what the company does. And when we're when you think about the Mars rover Perseverance, uh, any interesting data come back so far? Yeah, so what we're seeing now is uh, a distribution of uh, minerals and, and rocks that are a little bit different than than what we uh, typically see on other parts of of Mars. Uh, it's still early uh, to really draw any conclusions, but we're seeing uh, sort of things that we expected. And that's why the mission went to this specific uh, crater, uh, Jezero crater. Uh, it's looking at uh, fluvial deposits. Uh, think about a river. And when you have a delta uh, and the river is bringing sediments and bringing materials into the ocean, what happened uh, on this Mars place is that uh, that delta and eventually the, the, the seas or oceans that were there uh, evaporated. They went away. And what we see today uh, is just the, the, the bottom or the seafloor and the river floor uh, of that system. So we're seeing uh, scenes that are very, very consistent with that hypothesis, uh, which was, yeah, there was a flowing uh, water in this area. And now we're sitting on top of sediments that were carried away by, by rivers uh, a billion, maybe two billion, two billion years ago, perhaps. Um, well, I, I know it was just recently, it was probably two months ago, I heard about uh, the melting ice in in siberia and a twenty thousand year old bacteria that was found uh, are the thoughts are the thoughts that there could be remnants of life or uh something along those lines found in the sediments in mars and and what what do we expect to find there yeah that's exactly the point of going to these places uh one of the things that we know from earth 
is that in, in areas where there has been a lot of water and a lot of uh, rich material like clays and other, and other uh, materials, that's where uh, typically life, uh, when it decays, dies and decomposes into carbon. The clays are very good places for this organic matter to be trapped. Think about a sandwich, right? And you have multiple layers, and some of them are organics. And eventually that's how oil forms on Earth here. Uh, now you go to Mars, and uh, we don't have any oil that we know of, or, or we will, but we think that uh, those places like desert where you have uh, very rich sediment uh, areas that eventually dry out and, uh, and are perhaps trapping some of the rest, the remnants, remnants of, uh, of that organic life now in the forms of, uh, of uh, organic molecules, perhaps even carbon, or perhaps even some textural uh, bio or fossils, if you want, uh, at the microscopic scale, of course, of potential bacteria or microbes that may have been uh, on Mars there. Uh, so what we expect to, to find there is um, uh, certain locations, uh, certain uh, rocks that are interesting to our eyes uh, that gives us confidence or gives us hope, rather, that, uh, that we can find uh, organic matter uh, in, in, those, in those samples. Uh, now, unfortunately, um, the mission right now is not, it wasn't never designed to look f to find life uh, with the current instruments on Mars. What it's designed to do is to uh, use those instruments to select the, 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 the most likely samples that could contain organics, uh, these traces of life, uh, and then bring them back to Earth. Uh, because at the end, we need to use the best technologies that we have or will have in future to look for these uh, components that might be in so little abundance, they be so trace that we couldn't uh, find them with a, with a robotic mission. So uh, what we'll find is the best rocks, up to 24 rocks, or cores in this case, we're going to drill a little bit into the ground, uh, and we will, uh, about 2026, 20, 28 perhaps, we'll be able to bring them back to, to Earth to study in the best labs. And now it's up for discussion, up for grabs, uh, what we will find eventually in the labs here. But this is getting everybody excited around the world to have the very first uh, samples from Mars uh, return to our Earth. And what's the potential for what happens from there? Is it, um, you know, the, the opportunity to mine for minerals there? Is it that uh, some of these materials can be used by humans who might later go there? Or could there be concern we find, uh, you know, some bacteria or something up there that might be, might be dangerous? What's the spectrum of possible outcomes here? So all of the above, actually. So the, one of the first things that we are going to be careful with those samples is, as you mentioned in your last point, uh, what if they contain some harmful uh, uh, bacteria or, or chemicals that may be, uh, may be uh, dangerous for, for life here on Earth? Uh, so there is a whole protocol that has been developed, not different than what the, the CDC has when we're handling biohazards. Uh, there's different levels, and this is top level of, of potential risk. So there will be samples will be handled in a very careful way decontaminated uh, in case those uh, things exist and analyzed in specific uh, facilities and containers that will uh, prevent any potential uh, contamination. Uh, but uh, So that's part of one of the story. Uh, as we move into the future and, and we eventually uh, land humans on Mars and eventually make Mars uh, a colony uh, of, uh, of humans in which we have to settle permanently and, and live there, and eventually generations will grow there on Mars and be Martians uh, of sorts. Uh, so what will happen is that uh, there'll be a point where we cannot bring all the resources that we need to survive there uh, from Earth, right? So probably the first missions that we'll send will be robots 
that will start mining the environment, uh, mining for things like water, right? So water is needed for many things. One of them is for breathing oxygen. The other one is for fuel. Uh, we know, and you've heard about the Blue Origin now uh, company that using a new type of rocket that uses hydrogen and oxygen to propel. So there is a lot of that on Mars uh, trapped in the rock. Um, so we think that that's a potential mineable deposit there that, uh, that we can use for, for both uh, life support, but also for fuel. And eventually, uh, other, other metals, aluminum, uh, iron, things that we need to, to construct uh, habitats, uh, silica that we can use to, to make glass, right, for, for viewports and maybe even greenhouses, if you want to think ahead a little bit. Uh, so all of that is on Mars now. We know that. Uh, and now it's a matter of uh, the next generation of technologies that we need to develop and invent to be able to mine those deposits so that we can use them effectively uh, as humans uh, settle there. And so, Pablo, if we go, uh, let's, let's dial it back from uh, maybe outer space to our deep blue oceans. What type of research are you doing through impossible sensing looking beneath our ocean waters and our surf- surfaces here on Earth? Yeah, so uh, as, as we all know now, uh, and it's becoming more evident, uh, you know, we are trying to decarbonize uh, a lot of the industrial activity that we have uh, on land. Think about things like creating or producing energy, uh, transporting energy, uh, and even using energy in different industries. All of that is going to shift towards uh, towards uh, processes that, that do not emit carbon back to the atmosphere. So now, to enable that uh, decarbonization, we need technologies like uh, like batteries that are more efficient. Uh, I think Tesla uh, and every year announcement that their cars can go a few miles longer, right, on a single charge. So the batteries that we need for that, the 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 minerals and elements we need to build solar panels that are efficient. Uh, even wind turbines uh, are made of of some rare earths and minerals. So uh, one of the problems we're facing now uh, is the supply uh, issue. There is not enough of these uh, so-called critical minerals on the surface, on the continents, on Earth, and the ones that we know, we're mining them at a speed that will deplete the deposits uh, uh, very quickly. Not only will deplete them, but will also break havoc in environmental uh, uh, systems on on Earth, but that's a different topic. So now enter the deep ocean. So uh, what we know is... uh, even if we don't know much about the seafloor, uh, what we know is based on all the tectonic uh, theory and now obviously proven and, uh, and, and well understood, is that there are deposits of uh, such critical minerals and elements that we need now to really uh, push for this decarbonization. So uh, what we're doing now with the Department of Interior here in the United States is uh, we are developing new technologies that will enable us to find those deposits, to know exactly where they are, and actually to know how much of each of these minerals do we have so that we can start building ahead and developing those resources in the seafloor so as to, as I said earlier, uh, start to decarbonize uh, processes that we have on, on land by using these new new minerals. Uh, but there is a caveat here, and uh, all of us, or at least most of us, are concerned with the environmental impact of, uh, of mining, and we've seen uh, what it does to, the, to, to Earth. And... We, some of us fear that the same fate may may occur to the deep sea. Uh, as we mine and we explore these these resources, uh, there is a risk that we will disrupt uh, ecosystems. So, uh, part number two of the work we're doing with government is to to locate uh, areas that are particularly fragile, ecosystems that are particularly important for the ocean that should be preserved. Uh, in other words, we're trying perhaps to 
to locate the next national parks in the seafloor, places where we will not exploit deposits because the impact that may have in the ecosystem. So uh, it's a dual research uh, that we're doing. One, to find resources that humans need to keep advancing, but also uh, understand the ocean better so we can protect it better. And Pablo, can you tell us, you mentioned you've got 20 people employed in St. Louis right now. Uh, where do you operate? Uh, it looks like Cherokee Street. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've grown this in St. Louis? Yeah, so uh, the story of the company moved from, 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 from several places. It started at the, in downtown at the T-Rex uh, incubator, and uh, that was when I was myself uh, at the beginning. And I was running my operations from there, uh, co-working space, meeting people, networking, all of the things that uh, entrepreneurs like to do. And once I graduated from T-Rex, uh, once I found the need to really uh, hire a team, um, we moved down to uh, to Cherokee District, uh, and uh, there is a co-working space there called Nebula, uh, and we became partners with them because we saw uh, better facilities for us, uh, larger spaces. We had our first lab uh, there at Nebula, and uh, and there is uh, down the street from Nebula uh, on Jefferson, there is a church, uh, Potomac and Jefferson, uh, to be specific, and uh, we now. Um, uh, 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 Partnered with uh, with the same uh, group that owns Nebula, it's called South uh, um, South City Spaces uh, to utilize the basement of the church as our as our lab. Uh, so we are able to develop all of our technologies from whiteboard to to now production with with machines. Uh, all that in the basement of uh, of a church. Uh, so part of the appeal of, of doing it there is that, well, A, it's a large space. Uh, it's sort of uh, dark, which which we like uh, because we use very sensitive uh, optical equipment that doesn't like uh, bright days like today. And uh, and uh, and we find that by working very close to the Cherokee community and the South City community, we are getting an influx of creative ideas uh, uh, from the area. We are able to communicate and work very closely with uh, artists and and, and, cre- and content creators that are helping us shape a little bit the way we think about technology, uh, not so much as just a machine and robots, but as art itself, a process in which you, you have an idea, uh, a concept that you want to show in a way, uh, and now we, we do it in a different way than classic artists, but in a sense we think ourselves as artists that transform the way we see the world uh, by using our technologies. Founder and CEO Pablo Sabrone from Impossible Sensing. Uh, Pablo, thank you so much for joining us. And if people wanted to learn more about uh, Impossible Sensing, you go to their website, impossiblesensing.com. Pablo, thanks for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, and stick around for more Nothing Impossible. We'll be right back right after this. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. We talk about some of the successes that happen in the region. And Michael, I have to tell you, like over the last few months, I'm seeing more and more headlines of not just companies raising money, but companies raising substantial amounts of money. And we're going to talk to uh, Eric Golve from BioGenerator, the president of BioGenerator. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. So what's the latest with BioGenerator and all this activity? Yeah, there's a tremendous amount going on, which reflects um, the maturity of our portfolio over the last uh, three to five years. So we were together um, along with Don Rubin back in 2018, and that was a, a pretty nice, exciting time for us. That was when Galera announced their IPO, and Benson Hill had raised a $65 million Series C. 
flash forward a couple of years later, and those companies are continuing to make great progress. And I, I can come back and talk about that a little bit. But um, we've got some new companies in our portfolio, um, some of which that have made uh, tremendous progress in a short period of time. So just about a week ago, a relatively new company in our portfolio, Wujen, uh, announced a, an oversubscribed $172 million Series B round. Now, that's a company that was um, formed and pulled out of Washington University, two separate technologies by Rivervest Venture Partners, who we work closely with. John McKern there um, has done a number of spectacular pharmaceutical deals over time. We have a good relationship with John, and um, we co-invested at the early days within uh, Wujin. We put in a million dollars, which for us is a large amount of money, um, alongside Rivervest. Um, They moved very quickly. Um, They expanded tremendously uh, in terms of their employee base over a short period of time, raised additional money, a Series A round. So they raised around $36 million in a short period of time and um, were making so much progress that that ultimately led to them raising a $172 million round. Um, And so the company grew from about five employees to 40, and it's projected to grow tremendously from there. And so we work with companies like that in different ways. Uh, We invest money into those companies, but another value uh, that we provide to companies like that is, in fact, having lab space to to let them get started. So those five employees, early employees at Wujen work out of our labs. They continue to grow over time, and we keep keep working to find additional space to enable their growth right there within our facility at the BioSDL building. So they've made a lot of progress. Um, they're working on a couple different therapies, cellular therapy for cancer. Um, that's, that's one example. And then on some of the relatively early stages in our portfolio, uh, we also had some news recently about a company called Impetus Agriculture, uh, which recently announced a million-dollar raise. So that's a lot earlier on the continuum, but it was pretty important uh, for them. We, have a, uh, we recruited a couple years ago um, an individual, Martha Schlicker, who's an executive in residence with us, and she ultimately became CEO of Impetus, and they've brought on some real talent. They recently hired an individual named Brian McNulty as their chief technology officer. He's a former executive at Bayer. Um, and they're working on technology that they spun out of uh, KWS, a multinational company that has a major research presence here in St. Louis. And they're, uh, this is a company in the ag space. So they've got a platform to develop uh, and deliver biological insect control solutions. So as opposed to chemicals, which you uh, spray on crops, this is a biological solution, uh, which has some advantages to it. It's typically much safer than uh, using chemicals to control insects. And that company already has a co-development agreement in place with a major multinational ag company to advance some of their first concepts through product development and commercialization. Again, in line with the continuing maturity of our portfolio, we've had a company, uh, Arch Oncology, that uh, we were the first uh, investor in a number of years ago. Rivervest came along a while ago and, um, and joined that deal and has continued to push that company. That company also is operating out of the BioSTL building. They have their own space there. 
they're working on a biologic therapy for solid tumors and certain types of blood cancers. Um, they earlier this year announced $105 million series financing. So that company is in phase one, phase two combined clinical trials. Um, and they've got a very exciting uh, lead drug candidate that they're working on, again, for cancer therapy, a different uh, approach to cancer therapy. Um, so overall, within our portfolio, um, we've really uh, made tremendous progress adding companies to the portfolio and helping the stronger companies raise even more money. So at this point in our history, Biogenerator has invested about $35 million into 95 different portfolio companies. And those companies have gone on to raise nearly $1.6 billion. So that's a 45 to 1 leverage of every dollar that Biogenerator puts into companies like this. And that's, in fact, what we are trying to accomplish. Uh, we're not the kind of organization that can invest $20 million in a company, but we aim to grow companies strong enough to raise that kind of money from other investors. And in fact, today, if you look at the distribution of investors that have made at least one investment in the, into the biogenerator portfolio, it really spans the gamut across the country and even across the globe. So we've got investors East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, uh, and we've got investors overseas as well. We're talking to Eric Gove, the president of Biogenerator. Um, Eric, as you gave us three examples, uh, some raising as little as a million dollars, some over a hundred million dollars. What does that mean related to the time frame for these you know, companies to commercialize their product, actually be able to sell their product to, to whomever, whoever the market is? Yeah, absolutely. In many of these sectors, um, it takes a lot of money and a, and a substantial amount of time to develop products. You can't sell a product um, in a therapeutic space or a medical device space typically until the FDA has approved it. And so you have to go through rigorous processes first before you ever test a product in people and then series of sequential tests in patients with diseases that you're trying to treat. And so the more quickly you can raise money and the more money you raise, the faster you can progress through all of the hurdles that you need to overcome in order to get to the sort of finish line of having a product that's completed all of its trials and is ready to submit for approval by the FDA. So the kinds of rounds that companies like Wujin and Arch Oncology uh, are raising enables them to really push far more aggressively through their development path to commercialization um, than was really possible before when our companies were raising less money. So it, it's really important for these kinds of companies. Sure. Uh, Eric, as we're wrapping up, where can people go to learn more about some of these companies and, and follow the progress? Yeah, we have an impact report that gives an overview uh, of everything we've done. Uh, you can go to biostl.org slash impact to see a, a high-level overview of the kinds of impact we've made as an organization. And then you can also go to biogenerator.org and look for the portfolio tab there where you can see some of the most promising companies um, that we're backing. 
Uh, and in other parts of the website, you can learn details about the different kinds of programs that Biogenerator offers to companies, investments, lab facilities, entrepreneurs and residents, assistance seeking non-dilutive grants. So the whole suite of programs that we offer to companies is featured on Biogenerator's website. Well, Eric Golvey, president of Biogenerator, thank you so much for joining us. Stick around. I'll have more Nothing Impossible right after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Finally on the show, Moonshot Labs has taken off. It's a first-of-its-kind collaboration between a spy agency, private industry, and academics. It's spearheaded by the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and it's located inside of T-Rex on Washington Avenue. That's the innovation center that we talk about so much. Moonshot Labs is a very specific subset of that. In an area that's growing in importance for St. Louis, geospatial or mapping technology. It's becoming one of our region's industry clusters. What's unique about Moonshot is how it'll be an unclassified arm of the spy agency. The director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, Vice Admiral Robert Sharp, at the unveiling. Our Moonshot is an all-of-enterprise effort to speed up the delivery of the capabilities necessary to deliver that trusted geospatial intelligence, our military our policymakers and our first responders require all with the speed, accuracy, and precision necessary to inform decisions and defend the United States and our allies. Now, as I mentioned and as displayed here, we're in a competition to remain the best at our business, a competition we must and we will win. A competition will win based on the creative, innovative ingenuity in our people. The competition will win by tapping into the creative, innovative ingenuity found in the growing St. Louis geospatial community and the broader geospatial enterprise. A competition we will win by, con by creating the environment uh, we're creating here, where we can unleash the potential in our people. Also in St. Louis, the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, says that this was a milestone for the greater intelligence community as well. Two years ago, when we broke ground for the next NGA West campus, we sought to create a pipeline of emerging geospatial solutions through the development of a technology ecosystem in St. Louis. And with accelerators, millions of dollars of investments in research and agreements with educational institutions across the region, we seek to forge connections at an unprecedented depth between the intelligence community, academia, and industry, knowing that this is necessary to promote the ecosystem that we need. Now, of course, Moonshot Labs is evocative of President Kennedy's 1962 speech, which used to go to the moon. Avril Haines says that the NGA Moonshot is not going to be easy and they can't do it alone. And President Kennedy's words from 1962 still resonate today as we celebrate the launching of Moonshot Labs. For we too meet in an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear, in an age of both knowledge and of ignorance, as we reach for the stars. And he spoke of the fast pace of change and of the rapid development of learning and of mapping. He talked about the competitive advantages of greater cooperation between the private sector and government in addressing the challenges as we explore new frontiers. And at Moonshot Labs, we intend to explore those new frontiers. The professionals who work here will come from government, from the private sector, from academia. Together, we'll harness 
the tremendous power of innovation, invention, and inspiration in America that drives progress throughout the world. And some of that progress is self-evident. It's in the search engines we use, in the cloud computing we rely on, and in the sophisticated commercial imaging capabilities that are now available to really everyone. Much of the progress we've made is not well known to the public, and yet is critically important to the intelligence community. This includes the work that NGA does to harness sensing and sense-making capabilities and the analysis and orchestration of them in real time. This gives America's warfighters and policymakers a competitive edge that nobody else has. But as President Kennedy also said, our adversaries are not standing still. They weren't then, they aren't today. And as our capabilities evolve, our adversaries evolve. And in that fight, this place will be a tremendous source of strength. Here we will develop and deploy new technologies, drawing on new fields such as artificial intelligence, biotechnology, that will empower humans to do more and do it better. The Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, in St. Louis. Now KMOX caught up with Senator Roy Blunt and Congresswoman Ann Wagner on the local impact. Well, I think it's a big moment for not only NGA in uh, the country, but also NGA in St. Louis, and St. Louis as it relates to this rapidly emerging geoint uh, spatial science economy, um, having collaborative partners, having commercial space partners, uh, joining uh, the uh, NGA workforce as part of that team. Uh, also creates an opportunity in St. Louis for education at Harris-Stowe, training from and education at MU. Uh, the kinds of things we see happening every day can easily make St. Louis the focal point for this dr dramatically and rapidly growing part of our economy. And so I think we don't want to underestimate how important it is uh, to suddenly see the federal government for the first time ever officially reaching out and creating space to where we're going to take advantage not of what the federal government produces, but what the private sector produces in a way that's going to be of great value uh, to helping secure our country and it'll save a lot of money for American taxpayers. And the fact that this is a, a, a first uh, in its kind, one of a kind, collaboration of a public-private partnership along with academia to take the geospatial uh, technology and concept uh, into uh, into the private sector, into academia, in a classified setting, to have the Director of National Intelligence here uh, in collaboration with us talking about how important this is. And to, to use St. Louis and this concept of bringing together NGA and T-Rex uh, as a way um, uh, to be a prototype uh, for the entire country going forward in this geospatial and mapping uh, uh, space. So it's very exciting for our region. A lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities in terms of our national security and our common defense, and we're thrilled to be here uh, to, to launch it today. I do have a question about the environment now with Open Skies Treaty going poof. That really changes the, the, the importance of this, doesn't it? Well, it, it does, but what, what's maybe more significant right now is just how much information there is out there and how much it, it is produced uh, by somebody other than a taxpayer-funded uh, authority and how you take advantage of that. But then the next question after that is what comes next, which is uh, a lot of, um, of um, artificial intelligence that, that quickly can analyze 
all of that material and uh, before you and put a set of human eyes on okay here's what changed from yesterday to today that somebody will look at there's too much of that for people to look at every day uh, but to take that vast new amount of information public and private and constantly be watching to see what kinds of things we should know about uh, to protect our freedoms and to protect our country well I would say uh, given cybersecurity uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, certainly our own national security and common defense there are so many things that are so important and are evolving in uh, in this new environment so uh, NGA is going to be very much a part of it this moonshot launch is going to be very much a part of it uh, and uh, we look forward to the growth uh, not just for jobs here in the region but also uh, as I said for our, our national security um, and uh, and intelligence and defense. And yeah, finally, it, it flips the image of North St. Louis a lot, don't you think? Well, and the footprint is incredible. As a, being a part of watching NGA West grow uh, from the ground up has been absolutely remarkable. And it is a, a big boon for this region, uh, both in St. Louis City and County and the entire metro area. All those jobs will come in. All of those researchers. Uh, our expert workforce here has been key, I think, to this uh, this growth, but it does change the entire footprint, and we uh, look forward to the future. And if you look at what happened in Arnold, Missouri, with a similar but smaller decision a few years ago, mm -hmm. uh, the government could have bought a lot more land at the time, and, and frankly, if they had all of NGA, might have wound up down there. But when you took that part of this payroll and began to send them to that location every day, before you knew it, there were grocery stores and dry cleaners and service stations restaurants. Uh, and restaurants. And I think we have a real chance to see all of that happen. So all of the new economic activity uh, in North St. Louis won't be just because uh, federal employees are coming there to work every day. It'll be because of all the things that logically resonate when that kind of thing happens, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. In fact, uh, you know, the first uh, new uh, uh, grocery store uh, in St. Louis opened about three years ago, about the same time that project with that workforce that was going there to build a project every day, one of the things that augmented the ability of a grocery store to be available in an area that hadn't had a grocery store for a long time. And there you have it, Travis, from the Moonshot Labs launch inside of T-Rex. It was a full show this week. Uh, let's do it again next week, shall we, Michael? <laughs> There's plenty to talk about, so definitely come back next week and download the podcast. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.